we're talking about this idea of generosity and how it is peculiar in our culture. When you see true, meaningful generosity, it stands out in this world that we live in because we live in a culture that is pretty self-consumed, where everyone is taught to kind of like, uh, you know, take care of themselves, just look out for number one. And so when you see generosity on display, it's a powerful thing, and you get excited about it, and you want to celebrate it. Remember last week, if you were here, I showed a little video about a kid playing basketball that I saw on Facebook, and he just got into the game, and he never played before, and the team tried to get him a basket, and he kept missing. And so, like, with three seconds left, the other team inbounded the ball and tossed it right to him so that he could score. I saw that on Ellen this week, too. So Ellen saw it online, invited both families in, and had them on her stage. Why? Because we celebrate generous things. They're so uncommon that when you see something truly generous and inspirational, you want, to, you want to make a big deal about it. And so we're talking about this because we want to be those kinds of people. We want to do those uncommon things. We want to do those things that seem strange in this world that we live in. Because normal, normal is just going home, pulling into your garage, closing the door and going inside. That's normal. I, for one, have been in a situation where I was waiting, this is in an old house that I used to live at, and the garages like were across from each other. And so I got out of my car and I saw my neighbor pulling in on the other, across the alleyway. And so I was like, I'm just going to say hi. I haven't even met this person yet. We've been living next to each other for a couple of months. I'm going to say hi. So I kind of walk out. I do the stand thing. Like, it should be obvious. Like, I'm, what's up, you know, kind of the pull into the garage. He closed the door before he got out of his car. <laughs> he punched the button so that the garage door closed while he was still in his vehicle, clearly not wanting to hang out. So um, that, unfortunately, is normal. We live in these neighborhoods where our houses are like more close together than ever, and yet our lives are really far apart. We don't interact. You probably don't know very many of your neighbors right around you because that is normal in this culture. It's normal in this culture to go to, to lunch or go out to dinner tonight and to not try to make it your server's, you know, highlight of their day. It's normal to just kind of be there and expect to be taken good care of because, after all, you're a paying customer and they better, they better look out for you. That's normal. It's unexpected when you reach out and try to make this the, the highlight of their day as their experience serving you, right? It's, it's normal in our culture to avoid strangers instead of engaging them. Have you heard of this word uh, xenophobia? Xenophobia is the fear of strangers, right? And we come by it honestly because we grew up being cautioned not to talk to strangers because, you know, we're this, this crazy world and you never know what could happen. And so, and so we're told as kids, don't take candy from strangers. Don't get in a car with a stranger. You know, if you grew up kind of on the L.A. freeways, you don't interact in vehicles with a stranger, especially if they don't put their lights on on purpose and you're the guy that's like, hey, your brights aren't on. And then they do the urban legend thing and come around and kill you. And so, <laughs> you, you know, we're taught, we're taught that that's a dangerous thing. Strangers can't be trusted, right? And, and to a degree, there's, there's some truth to that. We, we have to understand that life, in life, there are many, many tensions to be managed, that are not problems to be solved, right? In life, you have many tensions to be managed that are not problems to be solved. And this is one of them. You have to think about the tension, work process the tension of 
not being afraid, not being a xenophobe, not being afraid of strangers, even though you're not going to just like give them the key to your house either, right? There's a tension there. I'm not going to give my five-week-old baby to somebody I don't know and say, here, hold him for a second while I go get a drink. I'm also not going to put little Jack in a baby bubble, right? I'm not going to give a stranger my key to my house, but I am going to unlock my door and occasionally look for opportunities to invite someone in for dinner or for whatever. We have to live in this tension of not being afraid of strangers and learning how to love them, interact with them. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. When I was growing up, I saw this modeled by my parents because they saw it modeled by their parents. We, uh, we, had, we had people staying with us all the time. I remember one particular Christmas, and we had this distant cousin. I didn't even know he existed, never met him before in my life, but apparently he was related to me in some way. And so it was Christmas, and he was stationed at Camp Pendleton. And he, for whatever reason, whether it was, um, you know, because of his schedule and obligations or finances, he couldn't go home and be with his mom or whomever for Christmas on the East Coast. So my mom invited him to be with us for Christmas, which is great, except if it kind of, you know, like, if I, if I get one less present as a result of this kind of intrusion, then hospitality is not okay in this situation, Right? But my parents were constantly doing stuff like that. We lived in a very small house, three bedrooms, and I don't know what it was, like 15, 1,600 square feet. It was small. And there was a year, almost all the time, but I remember one year in particular, there was two women that lived in the house with us, and they shared a pull-out couch in the living room. And they were just there because they, they were in nursing school and they couldn't afford you know, their own place or whatever their circumstances were. So my parents invited them in. I saw that growing up. We even had one guy that they invited in to live with us for six months. They put a little time frame on it uh, because he had night terrors. So he would wake up in the middle of the night just like screaming bloody murder. And there was one night where he like was in this daze and he walked into my room and I'm like seven and I'm thinking, I'm going to die. Like <laughs> this, this is the end. This is a six foot four hairy man and, uh, and he's not asleep and he's cussing and doesn't know it and I think I'm, I'm done. I'm and my dad, I just remember my dad was like, Eric, Eric. The guy's name was Eric. And he woke up and he was like, oh, sorry, boys. And he walked back to his room. I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly of hospitality, right? Because my parents modeled it, that there was something unusual, there was something peculiar, there was something different about families, about people who are generous and who are hospitable. When I was preparing for this message, I did just a simple Google search on hospitality. You know what comes up? I mean, a lot of things, right? It's Google, it's millions of things. But primarily just two subjects. Either the hotel industry comes up or biblical hospitality. Because our culture has relegated hospitality to a profit-seeking entrepreneur in the hotel, motel, you know, in that, in that zone. Or it's this different thing. And it's these people who still believe that somehow God and this person of Jesus have an influence on this world and that perhaps the creator of the universe might have something to say about how we should live different in this world. And so that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. Look at uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 13. It says, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Notice the two parts here. First part, share with the Lord's people who are in need. So you're, you're starting out, you share with people that you know. 
The, the early church, they were famous. They were so crazy unusual because they literally sold all their stuff so that their assets were liquid so that they could give away to people who had needs, right? They were crazy like that. They were different. They were strange, even in that time and in that culture. And so what Paul in Romans here is saying is he's saying, share, share with the people in your community, the people who you know. Be, be open with your stuff. And in addition to that, slightly different from that, practice hospitality. The word hospitality used here by the Apostle Paul literally means philoxenia. We're going to look at it here on this, on this little pad of happiness. Jonathan, fire up the, fire up the magic toy. Philoxenia versus philo or xenophobia. You see the kind of the, the root words are common so what we have here is the difference between fear of strangers and love of strangers. This word that Paul uses, he chooses very precisely because he intends us to love strangers. Strangers. People that you don't even know yet. So in our culture that is prone to xenophobia, being afraid of strangers, it's this, it's this countercultural, this strange thing that how then, how would we love Strangers, And yet Paul, that's what Paul is urging us to do. He says, yeah, take care of the people in your community, in your church, in your family, your friends. Yes, share with them. And practice, suggesting some kind of regularity, love of strangers. Which is, it's, it's crazy, right? It's, it's bold. And some of you I know are kind of, you're at this point where you're like, I'm kind of wanting to tune out of this message. I don't think this is for me. I don't even know my own house yet. Maybe I'm not married. Maybe I'm just a kid. Maybe, maybe whatever my circumstances are. I, I don't even have time in my schedule to invite my friends over for dinner. Why am I going to invite over a perfect stranger? This, this is craziness, right? I don't even want my in-laws to come and stay with me for a night. Why am I going to invite some person that I just met that's in need, that has, you know, needs a place to stay or something like that. But I would invite you, even if you're here for the first time and you're just kind of like exploring this idea of what it means to follow Jesus and what the Bible has that's relevant for your life, just stick with me for a few minutes and see if God doesn't say something to you and somehow make this idea of generosity through hospitality relevant. We're going to spend most of our time in the book of First Peter. First and Second Peter are written by the apostle Peter. And he wrote them in uh, A.D. 62 to 64 in that time frame. And he wrote them to believers, this, this letter, he wrote to believers in modern-day Turkey. Okay? I have flown into Turkey on Turkish Airlines. Don't recommend Turkish Airlines. Uh, that was a bad experience. But Turkey looks like a beautiful place. I was just in the airport. But if you can kind of visualize where that is in the world, that's where these believers were at the time. They were living there. And they were under... The emperor, they were under the, you know, the empire of Rome, and the emperor at the time was Nero. Have you heard of Nero? He was a madman. He was a crazy person. He was the one who really began making an art out of persecuting followers of Jesus. He went to the crazy degree, get this, he went to a, the crazy degree of persecuting these, these people following Jesus that he, he burnt them alive like human torches to light his garden. That's persecution. So Paul is writing to people like you and me in a, in a place like Turkey and telling them, I know that you've you got this stuff going on. I know that you're, you're, in this, you're in this time where you're under crazy persecution. That, like there's a knock at the door and it might be your turn. 
Because these people didn't deny Jesus. Like if they were questioned, they were like, yeah, I follow Jesus. And they were marched out to their death, right? So Paul or Peter is writing this letter to people who knew that their death might be imminent under this crazy madman political guy who's killing all kinds of Christians left and right in brutal, brutal, demonstrative ways. So that's the environment. So we look at chapter 4, verse 7. This short little passage, we're going to unpack it. It says, the end of all things is near. Peter, talking to this church in modern-day Turkey, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober of mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So to people who are going through a persecution that you can't even fathom, Paul is writing, hey, I really want you, hey, hey, get this, get this. I really want you to do this. I really want, I know, no, no, I know, I know that you might die tomorrow. I know that if there's a knock at the door, it means that your life could be over. I know that there's this madman who's trying to kill all of you. I get that. But here's what I really want you to hear. And so if it was that important for Peter to write to those believers, I think it might be relevant to us to consider today. And so he starts off with these words, the end of all things is near. My observation in that, it's in your notes, is to understand your context. Understand the world that you're living in. Understand that your life is, is, is part of a larger story that God is telling. That your life is not all about the things that you think it is. There's actually something more going on. You are part of a larger plan. And your parents were, and their parents and this has been going on for a long time, and God, maybe, maybe God wants to remind you that your, your life is not just your own. There's a larger thing at work here. And so Peter would say to you, pay attention. The end of all things is near. Your life isn't going to last forever. There's something significant here. Don't just assume that life is going to go on as normal forever and ever. The end of all things is near. Jesus is writing a story. He's going to come back again, and there's purpose for you in it. Understand your context. Look at Leviticus 19.34. It says, The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself. For you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. This is Moses reminding the people, don't forget, there's a bigger story. It's not just what you're experiencing here and now. Remember what it felt like to be a foreigner in that other country? Remember your ancestors that were slaves in Egypt and treated really, really brutally? There's a larger context that's playing out here. It's not, just, it's not just what you see right around you in Orange County. There's a larger story. And for some of us, I think he would remind us and he would say, don't forget. Don't forget where you come from. Don't forget what it felt like to show up to church the first time by yourself. Don't forget what it felt like to show up in an environment and you're the outsider and you're wondering if people are judging you and picking you apart. Don't forget what it felt like to lose your job. Your life is happening in the context of a larger story. And if you forget what it was like back here, you're not going to be generous and hospitable here. So he's saying there's a larger context. Don't forget, pay attention. There is more going on here. 
Some of us aren't generous and we're not hospitable just simply because we've forgotten what it felt like to go without. We've forgotten what it felt like to be desperate like we were before. We've forgotten what it felt like to go through a really bad breakup or divorce. We've forgotten what it felt like. We've separated ourselves so much from this circumstance of the past that now we don't have compassion on those going through it around us right now. And so Peter would say, pay attention to the larger story that's at play here. And then second, he would say, stay alert. Don't get caught up in comfort and complacency. Stay alert, he says, so that you can pray, so that you can align yourself with what God is doing. Look at Psalm 146.9. It said, The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. What he's saying here is that the, the, God pays special attention to the outsiders, to the abandoned, to those who feel like they're alone. That God has an interest, a vested interest, in really taking care of those kind of people, people who are hurting, people who are on the outside, people that feel like they've been abandoned. Those are the things that God is interested in, and you get to join God in meeting the needs of those people. You get to participate with him in, in one of his top priorities, and that is loving strangers, especially those who have been abandoned, who feel like they're outsiders, who feel like they don't belong, who are showing up for the first time and wondering if they fit, who don't have a parent, who are fighting it out on their own, who just went through some kind of crazy loss. God promises that he is near to the brokenhearted and he expects us to be too. That foreigner who, don't forget what it feels like to be a foreigner in someone else's land. For us, don't forget what it feels like to not know anybody. Don't forget what it feels like to be on the outside to wonder if people are critiquing you. You you don't forget and you step up and you love somebody else. And then keep the main thing, the main thing is my next observation. When he says, above all, Peter says in the verse, above all, love each other deeply. My observation is keep the main thing the main thing. That love is the, is the center, it's the linchpin, it's the center point of all of Scripture. That, that, that's what everything else hangs on. Look at Matthew 22. It says, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. In other words, love is at the center. You can, do, you can mess up anywhere else, but if you center your life on love, you're going to be okay. And so, and so our first priority is to love God with everything that we are, Jesus says, and then to love others as ourselves. So our, in effect, our loving God plays out through how well we love other people. That's his top part. That's the main thing. And Peter would say, don't miss it. Don't miss the main thing of your life. You cannot talk too much about love. You cannot focus too much on love. You cannot demonstrate too much love. You can't think too much about love. It is the main thing and should stay the main thing. It should be the fuel of your life. And Peter reminds us in this passage, above all, love each other deeply. And then he says, offer hospitality without grumbling. My observation is choose your attitude. Because you can just go along with your parent or with your friend or your spouse and just be like, okay, I guess we'll just do this. Like I did with my parents. They're, you know, like I, I told you, they were always having people over. Sometimes they would invite my friends over for me. Like I wasn't really having it. And they were like, no, 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 your buddy's going through a hard time at home or his parents are traveling or whatever, so we're going to have them over. So they would practice meeting the needs of, you know, people that you know and strangers, 
And in this case, it was one of my buddies, and they invited him over for a weekend, and I found out about it like Friday night when he shows up. I'm like, really? He's coming over? You're, this is going to totally screw up my pancake Saturday, you know? And, and so, the, you know, my, my Saturday was supposed to go, you know, watch G.I. Joe cartoons and eat pancakes till I was in a syrup coma. And now that, you know, friend is over, uh, I have an issue because he eats a lot. And so he, he woke up before me, goes out, mom starts making pancakes for him. And then I come out 30 minutes later and he's already consumed a mountain of pancakes and he uses so much syrup on his pancakes that the maple Aunt Jemima syrup, when I get to the table, is gone. There's no more syrup. And so I go in, mom gives me my plate of pancakes, the syrup is gone. I walk in and be like, no syrup. <laughs> he finished the syrup, you know? And then I'm mad at him and I'm mad at mom, like, thanks for ruining my Saturday, mom. Like, this is, you, your hospitality is infringing on what I want, Right? So Peter would say, practice hospitality without grumbling. Don't just go along with it. Choose your attitude. Choose your attitude. Numbers 10.32 says, this is Moses talking. He's talking to his in-laws. He says, if you come with us, we will share with you whatever good things the Lord gives us. So Moses is leading the, the people of Israel to the promised land. His in-laws are not Jewish, but he invites them to come. And these words are fascinating because he's saying that it doesn't just need to be Jewish people. You can come in and be a part of us and come and enjoy the generosity of God in this promised land. Moses was convinced, get this, Moses was convinced that God's provision would come through and that his promises would be realized. And so he invited others in and just said, come on and enjoy the blessings of of God. He chose to have that, that inclusive attitude. And you can too if you're not operating from a mentality of scarcity, thinking that you don't have enough, and you realize that it's all from God in the first place, you can welcome people in too. And we will be a welcoming church. We will be those who say, come on in. If you want to be a part of what God is doing in this community, if you want to be a part of God's favor in this place, just come on in. It's not for us. It's for anybody. You're welcome here. Come and enjoy and be a part of what God is doing. Come and enjoy God's favor. And so we extend welcomes to strangers and to friends. And we share our life and we share our stuff and our blessings because we are utterly convinced our attitude is that it's all God's to begin with. Come and enjoy how God has blessed me. Come and enjoy how God is blessing us. And so we will be people that constantly invite in and say, the more the merrier, because it's all God's to begin with. It's all his. Whatever he blesses us, we're just going to keep passing on. That will be our attitude. And that can be your attitude in your home, in your neighborhood, with your family. That, 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 the, the decision to say, this is all God's to begin with. This is all God's. And then Peter finally would say, use your gifts, the last verse, serve others. Use your gifts to serve others well. Be faithful stewards of God's grace. My observation is serve uniquely based on how he's given you and serve generously. So consider the ways that God has uniquely blessed you. And when I think about that, I think about skills and I think about stuff, right? So God's given you unique skills, He's shaped you in a particular way. He's wired you in a particular way that he wants to work through you. And he's given you things, house, car, dining room table, whatever, food. 
that you can also share with other people. So consider how he's blessed you with your skills and with your stuff. And how can you use those things to love other people? Look at this next, next verse, Philippians 2, 3. It says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in, a, in order to fulfill his purpose. So he is working his way out. He is working out his life through you. He is working in you to make you the person that he wants you to be. You just get to participate in that. He wired you and made you the way he did, not just for you, but so that you could love other people. You have the stuff and the skills that you have, not just for you, but so that you can be generous with others. That's a part of his plan. That's his story. That's how this works. He's blessed you to bless other people. Now, a lot of us spend the first 20 or 30 years of our life figuring out how he's wired us, right? Like, um, so, so what, what do I do with my life? People that, at, that tell me that they don't know the purpose for their life, I, I tell them, oh, actually, you do. In fact, we've been talking about it. Love God with everything that you are and love other people as yourself. If you just do that, you've figured out the purpose for your life. Then, uniquely, here's how it plays out. You figure out how he has uniquely made you and wired you, and you love people through those gifts and those skills. And hopefully you make a living for your family in the process. His priorities for you and for me are to love him and to love people and to use your uniqueness to love people well. You don't have to travel around Europe to find the purpose for life. I'm just telling you what it is. Love people well. Love him, love others. Let him love others through you and figure out your, how he's wired you to do that. I want to invite up a couple of friends of our church who, uh, who are particularly generous in their hospitality. And um, would you please welcome up the Vicks? Thanks, buddy. Let's put it up here. So Jonathan and Julie Vick, come on. Uh, these folks are, they've been involved in our community for at least a year or so, right? About a year ago we came here. Yeah. yeah. Moved down, um, have jumped in. And when I think about, I mean, uh, we have a generous and a, a hospitable church. Um, and as I was thinking about this message, a few people came to mind. And these, these folks came to mind because uh, when they first got to know me, they expressed their desire to host in their home. And they particularly, because they had kids in this general age, they said, we, we'll host the students. So my, you know, thank you for doing that. And thanks for all the different ways that your guys' generosity is expressed. One of the things that I want to ask you right off the bat was, what compels you to be hospitable? Well, for you that don't know me, if you hadn't heard the accent, I'm a Southerner. And so hospitality actually comes very naturally for me. It's very normal. Um, but I think what compels me to hospitality is the sense of community is it i believe that god created us to be in community with him and to be in community with one another and so for example when we at our old church um we changed churches and um we didn't know anybody and so we thought well how can we uh create community for our kids and for us so we started inviting children over and pretty soon we'd have 15 or 20 or 
25 kids in the backyard playing volleyball. We had these massive airsoft wars in the backyard. It was awesome. Um, kids would be spending the night. And it was through that we were able to um, develop the relationship with the boys. Eventually started taking kids camping, and we, we <coughs> created that community with, for the children, but also with the families that helped us. So we developed community. And so when we came here about last year, there was no high school group. And so we're like, hmm, that's a bit of a problem for our kids. So we have one who's going, in, going to Biola, going to be in, into the ministry, and he offered to help host, I mean, help be a leader. And so we started inviting people over. And for those of you who remember those days, it was really awkward. We had two kids the first week, one of them being my son. <laughs> and, and we're like, okay. And then the next week, mom called and said, are you having a youth group? I said, I hope so. And look at how we've grown. You know, we have 30 Plus kids now coming. They moved out of our house into the Stongs because the Stongs have a bigger house. And it's just a huge blessing to see this growing. And you also have just started another ministry that you're helping to host for moms with young kids, right? Well, we've decided to do it for moms with kids. We're, we're not going to limit it to age. But, yeah, we just started. We figured when I was a young mom, I had a, a mom with young kids and a young mom. Um, we had a group that we would go to weekly. So some of us older moms here thought there's a need for a place for moms to meet. So we're calling it Mom's Time Out. Anybody with kids is welcome to come. It's Thursday mornings, um, 9.30 to 11. We're just going to talk about life and about our faith and about our families. And we'll have food and coffee because everything is better with coffee. So we and would food. encourage you. Just email us so we know how many are coming. Because well, you'll we need be to on make the patio sure, too, right? Afterwards? Yeah, just email us and then because um, we need to make sure we have enough food and enough um, child care. So, and enough coffee. Yeah. And enough coffee. So how, <laughs> excuse me, how have you seen God work as you guys have been faithful and open up your home? What, what are th- some things that you've observed? I think some of the blessings is just is, is personal. We get to watch. We've gotten to watch the, our boys grow up. They've been involved with our lives. We've been involved with their lives. We've given them a safe opportunity, a safe place to have people over to do things. And, um, and we've gotten to know the, 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 the children. Some of my their old church, my, friend, my son's friends, their fathers weren't really involved in their lives. And so we kind of became a surrogate father, you know, parents for them. In fact, one of them gave me a Father's Day card one day. Wow. And so it's nice to be able to be a part of it and to welcome, you know, welcome and to meet the needs when there may not be a father around. Yeah. And here at Huntington Beach, what I thought was interesting is as the group continued to grow, the parents who would come to me and say, you know, we've been looking for some time. We've been trying to find a place for my son or daughter to fit in. So it was really encouraging to me to say that God had this plan long before we showed up. And yeah. it's just really interesting to see these kids find a place to fit in. Yeah, that's awesome. Have you guys always been this way, or has this been a journey? Well, again, I'm a Southerner, so there's uh, Southerner. hospitality has always been been a part. Um, giving the, of my the sweet tea. And, that's right, yeah, that lots of sweet tea. Uh, I've always been very generous with my time. Um, I will say that not always so generous with money. Uh, didn't grow up with parents tithing a lot. So that has been a journey and a change, and, and, and that has been a real blessing. And I will, you know, not what I saw going into it or really believed going into it, frankly, but the more that I gave of my time, the more that I have seen blessings. Huh. And I'm a Yankee, and it didn't come naturally to me at all. <laughs> it's like, you know, and it took me being married to him to realize that the house didn't have to be perfectly clean uh. and that I could just throw together whatever was in the house so that it didn't really matter how, what we were serving or how the house looked as long as people feel welcome. Uh. And that, that was a process, though, for me. 
Awesome. So tell me this: what kind of uh, what kind of difference do you think our our church would make in this community if we chose to be generous people, hospitable people? How would you encourage us today? You know, we as we're preparing for this, we thought we were really convicted by this concept because hmm. while we spent a lot of time developing community f- around the high schoolers we haven't done a lot for our neighbors hmm. so one of the things we want to do is to develop community with the people we live around we're involved with young life and there is a slogan they say earn the right to be heard and uh, i think that that's one of our next goals is to develop community with people that live around us because they don't know christ they don't go to church and so we need to reach out and, commu- and create community with those around us. And then once we can develop those relationships, then there'll be an opportunity to share the gospel. Hmm. Yeah, and we're just, we're just looking for that. Like we go to the dog park every day with our dog, and the same people are there. And we were saying, maybe we should invite the dog park people over to our house, which would be really, I think they would think it's odd, but you know what? You, until you ask, it's, you know, there's that saying, you know, that there's no such thing as strangers, just future friends. That you, but until you're willing to risk that and ask somebody, and it's the best way to get to know people is people ask them over. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you guys for being here. Thank you for all you do. Thanks for sharing. That was great. Julie led us right into our last little point. My only little fill-in on your outline, the hospitality challenge, is that there are no strangers. That you choose to know strangers, and you choose that there are no strangers. A little play on words. You can use whatever one you want. Either no. You choose to know strangers, and you choose that there are no strangers. That you're somebody. What if, what if we were people? who just, we, we saw a need, we met a need, we saw someone that was by themselves, we introduced ourselves, we initiated with our neighbors, we saw people who were obviously alone and without community, and we invited them in. We didn't miss opportunities, we looked for opportunities. We remembered the larger context of our lives. We paid attention. We chose to have a good attitude. We kept the main thing, the main thing, and, and committed to loving well. And then we used our unique gifts, skills, abilities, and stuff that we have to bless other people. What kind, of a, what kind of a ripple effect would that have in our community? There's another last verse on your screen that says, it says something. It says, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. To me, that means that God cares about this that somehow this is kind of supernaturally energized, that he has angels participating in this with you, that you might, be, you might be sharing with somebody, you might be welcoming somebody in. And it was an angel in disguise just giving you a crazy opportunity to be blessed. We have this Rooted deal going on. If you're new and haven't been through Rooted, you get to do it in April. It's awesome. It's, I'm just telling you, you will appreciate it. You just need to do it. It's, how, it's the on-ramp to finding community here at our church. Uh, one of the 10 weeks, we meet all together, and we did it recently in the, in the library here, and we had food, and I shared a little bit, and then we split off into our groups. Afterwards, I was exhausted. It had been a long day, and I was on my way home, and I had just kind of like had my car in my sights, and it was like, here I go. This is, this is I'm heading home. And I walk out the door, and out of the corner of my eye, I see some guy over here fumbling with his bike lock. It's like 8 o'clock at night, 
and he's, the library is closed. I think he just saw a light on and came to where people were. And so I kind of do one of these, uh, really, I'm so tired, and I think I DVR'd something that I want to watch, and <laughs> I kind of just want to. But he mumbled something, something like, hey, God bless you, man, like some, some kind of a little reach out. And so I just was like, ah, okay. So I walked over and was like, hey, man, how's it going? And this dude, he must have, he wasn't in our meeting. He must have just seen me talking, seen the group, and assumed that we were followers of Jesus because he started spouting out scripture to me that he obviously learned at a younger age. But he obviously had not been walking with the Lord of late because I don't know if he was high in that moment or just suffering the repercussions of a lifestyle of drugs, but he had a twitch to him. He wasn't completely in his right mind. And so I just introduced myself, and I said, are you hungry? And he goes, I'm starving. So I walked him in because I knew we had some extra sandwiches. And I just walked him into the back of the room. Our groups were meeting. Didn't disturb anybody. Didn't make a deal out of it. Gave the dude as much sandwiches as he could carry on his bike. Walked out. Saw that his bikes had, his tires had air. He told me he had a place to go. And so I just said, I encouraged him and said, see you later. It's, it's simple sometimes. You guys, I know, are far more hospitable and have done things far more than that. But it's just a reminder to me from this past week to pay attention. There are needs around us all the time, all over the place. Some very simple like that, some more substantial. But we get to participate with God in his ongoing story in this world. And he's, he's gifted you and he's given you stuff so that you can bless other people. If you just take one small step this week, that's all I'm asking. In fact, I put a card in your, in your bulletins. Can you grab it? I'm all about giving you real simple, practical next steps. We, as a church, will always be just kind of pushing and prodding you to take a little step. You might look at this card and think it's simple and cheesy, and it's kind of as it kind of is. But that's okay, because it's a, just a useful tool that you can use. It's a reminder that you can take a step this week. And I want to encourage you on the back, where it says what, to think of somebody or to be ready to encounter somebody and invite them to coffee or lunch or dinner. And tell them when. Give them the time. Here's the where. You get, maybe it's at your house. Maybe it's not. Maybe, maybe you team up with somebody else and it's at their house and you cook. Maybe, maybe you just, the simplest thing, if you just really need something simple, is to invite somebody next Sunday to the pancake breakfast. We'll cook for you. <laughs> but I invite you to do this. If you need a reason why, write, don't write down because my pastor made me. <laughs> Say because I believe in hospitality or because I want to get to know you more or because I make the best chili this side of Westminster or whatever, you know. Just thinking of an, an excuse and engage with somebody that you otherwise normally wouldn't. Will you do it? Some of you... Most of you are on the fence. Will you do something? Will you take some kind of a small step this week, whether it's this card or something else? We're going to take communion. I want to invite our ushers to come and begin to pass these out because I want you to see that we do stuff like this, not because we don't have anything better to do. We do it because we are caught up in this 
movement of God's story. This is, a, this is a story that's been going for out thousands of years. And since Jesus walked this earth, and right before he went to the cross, he had a meal with his disciples, and he said, I'm going to die, but in the ultimate form of generosity, I'm giving myself to you. I'm giving myself for you. And that's why we have communion. That's why we, we the Lord's Supper. And that day, it was like a real meal with stuff that actually tasted good. Uh, hence, inviting people over for dinner, make it taste good. This is just a simple little symbolic reminder. I know that it's in silly little plastic and a wafer that you can blow off your finger. <clears throat> but but it, is what, it is what it is. That's what we can do in our confines of this space. So, so close your eyes as you get this. And imagine that you're at a table Imagine that you're there. Imagine that Jesus is inviting you in. He's saying that all are welcome here. And that's the story that we promote. That's, that's the people that we are. We're just extending that open invitation of our God to others around us and just saying all are welcome here. The only criteria is that you believe in Jesus, is that you receive his invitation and just say, yes, God, I receive your gift, your sacrifice. And so the story goes, as Jesus sat at the table with his disciples, he took the bread and he broke it and he says, do this regularly in remembrance of me that this is my body broken for you. And so as you take the little wafer, remember that. And then he says, and take this cup. This is my blood poured out for you. And so we remember that. We remember the generosity of Jesus. God, I just pray as we take this little piece of bread and this little drink that you would help us to remember all the ways that you have been generous to us ultimately by sacrificing yourself for our sins. And God, put a little fire in us, inspire us now to be generous and hospitable to those around us. We're grateful for your gift today, God. In Jesus' name.